Let's get it. Monday, May 9th, 2022. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However you listen to Born the Battle, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Facebook, the player inside the blog on blogs.va.gov. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. Now, at the time of this episode drop, I am out in Washington State uh, on family business. Uh, We'll have a rewind next week, and then hopefully after that, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled episodes. Sorry, it's been a little start and stop. Uh, Had a lot of things come up lately. Appreciate you for hanging with me here. No ratings or reviews this week. If you haven't yet, please consider writing a review for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. Doing so does help us climb higher in those charts uh, due to Apple's algorithm. That gives more veterans a better opportunity to discover Born the Battle, listen to the testimonies of their fellow veterans, listen to the benefits breakdown episodes, hear what's in our news releases. Uh, It's also the best way for me to communicate with you. You send in a review. I respond back. It's a good back and forth. But the main thing is if you do submit a review, It gets higher in the algorithms and you're helping more veterans discover what's in these episodes. One news release this week pertaining to the electronic health record program. They had another launch out in Columbus, Ohio. For more information about VA's electronic health record, go to ehrm.va.gov. All right. This week's guest is an army veteran. She is a recently retired army officer who went through two difficult transitions at the same time and I'll let her explain what those were. Professionally, she's a communication and public relations specialist and an entrepreneur in the field. She was the communications director for the Army Soldier for Life program and produced their podcast, and she's the current host of the Military Officers Association of America's Never Stop Serving podcast. She is also a United States of America pageant queen and is currently Miss New York. She is Army veteran, Olivia Nunn. Enjoy. Olivia, it hasn't been so long. How you doing? Good. Um, crazy, busy, but I think that's on par for a living in the DC area, right? <laughs> I think like that's the thing you say. Like, I don't, I don't know like how else to live life when you're in DC. You know, I, I never, I, I swore I would never come back to this area. 10 years ago when I left it and and here I am. Um, it's just, uh, it's where the job, it's where the, it's where the career was. So I had to, I had to take the opportunity where, I, you know, to be here, but never thought I'd be back. Absolutely. Well, you and I have a bit of an unusual beginning um, as you and I were both discovering our podcast chops right around the same time. I think, uh, I think that first burb is where you were still in. Um, I think that was actually one of the first 10 episodes that I did here on Born the Battle. And, you know, seeing you grow, seeing you in your, you know, as you approach your post-military transition, seeing you rise from that transition, I I think now is the right time to bring you on, introduce you to the audience and tell your story for other veterans. Absolutely. And I do remember that first Burbiz. I think, uh, actually, that was my first Burbiz with Soldier for Life. Mm -hmm. And yeah. It was, it was good. It was, um, a good introduction, I think, into the world of, you know, 
veteran networking, you know, it, it kicked started my relationship with Scott Davidson and the great work that he does. And, you know, fast forward, I'm now his ambassador for that organization. I mean, just so many great things have developed and really it all started from U.S. Army Soldier for Life and the nuggets that we teach. And yes, I represented that organization, but what we taught at in that program, I took to heart and it works, right? It's yeah. not perfect. No program is, but when you use the tools around you and you do your homework, you are going to be successful. Um, and then you surround yourself with good people and a tribe, you know, um, you know, you're going to come out on top. You know, I think you, uh, you were very, and I think one of the important things is being proactive and, and, and using those principles that, that you, you learn that people try to teach you and show you. Um, and, and you were very, you were very proactive yourself. You came over and you're like, hi, my name's Olivia. I'd like to, you know, you know, be on this podcast. And I was like, man, I, I didn't know. Cause you know, VA is a veteran centric. And then you kind of sold it as, Hey, no active duty, you know, in the, in the transition, you know, they might want to hear that this is a good thing for them too. And I was like, Hey, absolutely. Here you go. Um, no, it was, it was a good nugget for that, for that first roundup in the podcast. That's actually in the archives. If anybody wants to listen to that, I think it's actually just says uh verb is roundup. If you search for it, it's, it's, it's one of my early ones. So Olivia, the first question we always ask here on born the battle is, and it goes way back. Uh, to that time that you knew that military service was going to be the next step in your life. When did you know that was going to be for you? You know, I've known that the military was going to be a part of my life since I was four years old. Uh, my dad four. served in the, yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone's shocked when I say that. Uh, my mm. dad served in the army. So, you know, I'm second generation. My dad served in the army. I'm first of three kids that he has three daughters. I'm the oldest and um, I'm daddy's little girl. And we are very close. And my dad was a combat engineer. He was enlisted. And, you know, it's what daddy did. And so I wanted to do it. The thing was, I just had no idea what I was going to do in the army. I just knew that I wanted to be in the army. Mm. Um, and I will tell you, though, my family was very adamant that I got an education first. And that's because if you have to understand the culture, I am first generation Korean American. And for Asians, a college degree is important. Oh, yeah. And my dad being enlisted, he was very adamant that I didn't enlist. He wanted me to be an officer. You know, growing up, I had no idea what that meant. Enlisted, officer, that that really didn't resonate with me. I just knew that I was going to be in the army and my dad said I was going to be an officer. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> and as I grew up, you know, along that way, that shaped into I wanted to go to West Point. There's something about tossing that cap. You know, and that's what I started striving for was West Point was a college. It was a premier institute. You know, it lines up with the Ivy Leagues. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, it wasn't in the cards for me. You know, I just I didn't have the high enough test scores on the math side. Math, unfortunately, just we just don't get along. I can balance <laughs> my checkbook. And, and that that's about it. Um, yeah. You know. And, uh, but I had everything else, you know, I, I had my appointment from the, from Congress. I, you know, I, I was all marked to go except for that, that one part 
uh, the SAT. That's stupid math part. But yeah. you know, everything, you know, fell out for a reason. And I ended up doing uh, ROTC out of Radford University in Virginia. Okay. And uh, yeah, so. My wife lasted at the cadets at Virginia Tech, which is right next to Radford. It for is. For literally a week. She was there for literally, she got a whole full ride of ROTC scholarship, was there for literally a week and then, and then, and then dropped out. But, um, so it's good that you went, you got to get to go to ROTC. Um, so you were, you were a public affairs officer for 20 years. Was it, were you doing that your whole career? No, actually 10. So the first part of my career, I was a chemical officer. I was, oh, really? yeah, I was a CBRN officer. The, the good old chemo, right? Uh, for those that are uh, familiar with the Army structure, the chemo is the redheaded stepchild of the staff, right? It is the reactive staff position, right? Uh, the chemo is the one that you don't want doing their job because that's a bad day <laughs> on the battlefield, right? Because then that yeah. means there's some kind of chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear event on the battlefield. And I actually did do my job in Iraq during OIF-1, believe it okay. or not. Um, and the chemo did become everybody's best friend. Yeah. And uh, that was, you know, some scary moments. But I did that for 10 years. And believe it or not, that was the best career field for me. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I chose. It was um, directed to me. You know, the army gifted me that if you could, you know. <laughs> I'd bestow this on you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it, it was literally the best career choice for me because what it, it offered me, it gave me the closest to the front that I could have ever gotten. And what do I mean by that? You know, in 2016, 2017, the army, the military opened up legally where Congress said, women, you can now serve anywhere in the military. The yeah. sky's the limit, right? You, you want to be a ranger? You want to be special operations? You can go do it. You have to qualify. You have to meet the, the requirements, but you can go do it. You want to be, you know, armor, all of those things. That was not available to me when I came in in 2001. Yeah. And so- I was not able to serve in combat arms, you know, had that been available to me, I wanted to be a tanker. Like how cool would it have been to be in, um, you know, in an Abrams and fire, you know, that <laughs> a sable round down range and watch that, you know, you know, having, you know, I was married, um, and my ex-husband was an armor officer and, you know, I've been to many tank tables and just, there's something to be said about watching, you know, tank table eight, like just that massive firepower. I spent eight years, actually like 10 years at Fort Hood. You know, there's that, that armor just rumbling down at Fort Hood. It's just, it, it's breathtaking, you know, you, you, you fell in love with it a, a little bit. It sounds like, yeah. Like, and who wouldn't want to be on a tank. Right. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, you know, those cards weren't, weren't there for me as a woman. And, um, you know, but as a chemical officer, because, you know, they say you're a jack of all trades because you're that reactive staff officer. And so they plug you into these various jobs because, you know, you're not doing your job as a CBRN officer, which is a good thing. Hopefully so, not. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so yeah. I was afforded the opportunity to do a lot of good things. And I was, you know, sent to Iraq three times, you know, I, three combat operation tours. And, you know, I did those things and I spent, you know, 10 years, my first 10 years, um, I was a company grade officer in combat armored brigades. And I was oftentimes the only female in those staff 
units. And so I did the jobs that were given to men, you know, left and right of me were infantry guys and armor guys. And so you, I jumped right in. And so, yeah. Back then it was very, you know, they say, okay, yeah, you weren't involved. You weren't able to apply for combat arms as as a a woman, as a female uh, soldier, but at the same time, the battlefield was was as such where women were finding themselves in, in combat situations all the time. Absolutely. You know, you know, there, there isn't, it's an asymmetrical, um, situation. It wasn't like the enemy was like, Oh, that's a woman. We're not, we're not gonna, you know, not engage. Um, you know, a lot of tough lessons learned along the way, you know, a lot of things that, um, make you stronger. Right. And a lot of things that have shaped me as a leader for sure. Absolutely. Um, so what years were you out there? I was there 2001, uh, no, excuse me, uh, 2003 to 2004. So the initial OIF one, and then I was there 2006 to 2008. So a 15 month extended tour. So that was known as the surge period. And then 2009 to 2010. So that's when we turned over the cities to, uh, to the Iraqi armies. And so that was kind of, um, giving back. So I, I have seen, you know, huge changes in Iraq seeing, you know, the sure. initial evasion to the surge period and then Build turning up. things over. Um, yeah, it was, it I, th- was I think, I think the only time that you weren't out there for those 10 years I was out there was, I think I was out there from 05 to 06. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, different, different times. Um, so when, in your active duty career, later on in your active duty career, towards the end, you also got into podcasting. Uh, you started up the soldier for life podcast, what prompted that and what was the purpose behind that podcast? Cause I, I saw with that podcast, when I started listening to it, there was a lot of similarities in terms of the mission of this podcast of born the battle. Um, but from an active duty component standpoint, that, is that accurate? Yeah. So uh, when I was at soldier for life, um, one of my near and dear besties out there, retired Lieutenant Colonel Robin Johnson. She served as a director of employment and she approached me. She's like, Hey, Olivia, we soldier for life is a strategic organization and we're doing a million things in a million different directions, you know, cause we're broken down by four regional offices and then functional areas. So yeah. we are broken down by the uh, Northeast region, the South the Midwest and the West. And each region has a director, which is a Lieutenant Colonel, and then a deputy director, which is a master sergeant. And then we had functional, which was employment director, an educational director, a health and wellness director, and then me as the PAO. And we were all busy doing our, our areas, our jobs and traveling. And and each of us were interfacing companies and organizations, but how do you get out to the masses when we're always engaged in different directions? And, you know, social media is great, but at the same time, you know, it, you're not always going to reach people. Enter the world of podcasting. So Robin was like, hey, Olivia, we need to podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, we went down that adventure of let's podcast. And so she was actually the first you know, I launched it, but she was actually the first podcast host. So she, so she took the initiative. She started it in terms of being the first host, um, for season one and season two. And I handled all of the background in terms of handling the social aspect and getting it out there and surfacing it. And she, you know, she did the hard work of, you know, getting people on and, and interviewing them and then she retired. And then I took over, you know, as the PAO and, you know, brought that into the actual social media 
you know, public affairs lane. And I took over as the actual host and director and producer, producer from season three to season nine. And, um, and really it was just to do what we were doing already in the office of the great information of all of the transition information, all of the strategic goodness, if you will, and sharing it in a way in a mass communication effort, you know, being able to share a story, share a concept, share a good sense of resource, package that in a concept, and then just sending it out on an airwave. And it was, and it's been highly successful. It took a hiatus when I retired last year because I retired September of 21. Mm-hmm. And um, it went dormant because, you know, when when talent leaves, you know, and you don't have a backfill and the Army doesn't send a new PAO to backfill you, uh, you know, the office, you know, and oh, by the way, we're in the middle of COVID, you know, it's kind of hard, um, you know, as you know, and if anybody who's listening, who's ever done podcasting, it looks easy, it looks, you know, glamorous, <laughs> but the truth is there's a lot of work that goes into it. You know, you know and- just flip and hit record. That's all it is, you know, Jeez. Uh, you absolutely um- can. You, yes, you absolutely can. You can hit record and go, oh, go at it. Go bananas. But you can. Yeah. Uh, but the truth is, you know, you want to create a quality product. And that's the hard part is at after you're done recording is what do you do with this data that you have? What do you do with this raw data of great? Here you are two people or two or three people talking to each other. What do you do with that? Cause you've got to clean it up. Yeah. Or even one person. And and yeah, not, and not only make a quality product, you actually have to bring the product to the audience. I think the days, and I've said this many times on this podcast uh, with other fellow podcasters, the days of the early days of podcasting with Joe, where it was just Joe Rogan and a handful of others, and they will come to you. Them days are over when it comes to podcasting. It, it, you have to have an established audience to be able to market to and, and market to effectively. I don't think just having a quality product and just putting it out there, your chances are like winning the lottery. Right. Accurate? Not accurate. I, what do you I think? agree. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it, you've got to start somewhere for sure. Um, but you definitely want to put some time and effort and some love, right? Some TLC into it. And so, uh, you know, and I had fun with it and, you know, you, I, you definitely grow, right? If you listen to me in season three, you know, that's, that was rough, right? But not that, um, the nice thing is I was a PAO. So being able to interview and talk to people, that was natural for me, but you still grow in terms of a editor and, you know, getting behind the scenes and in packaging that. And then to season nine, right. Especially as I was going out the door, I got to ask a little grittier questions and, you know, yeah. I got to be a little more vulnerable and, you, you know, I went out with a bang cause I shared my very personal story. I was assaulted as a Lieutenant and I finally kind of just unbared it all and, and just spoke my truth about, you know, who I was and what happened to me and, you know, and, and, and owned my story, you know, my own mental health story, you know, the weight that I was carrying, um, you know, and so that showed me that I loved what I, what I did and, and still do, you know, I still podcast. Sounds like it was very cathartic for you. It was. It's, it's, it's been very cathartic for you. I mean, look at you now you got, I mean, if you're just listening to the audio of this now, you, you, it looks like a podcast studio in your house. You got, you got the mics, you got the, you got the computers, you got a very radio-esque look and feel for your office there. So um, it sounds like this medium has, like I said, been very cathartic for you. It has. It has. 
I truly enjoy it. Very good. Well, while you were in, give me either a best friend or your greatest mentor. You know, I think that ebbed and flowed throughout my career, but I would say for the most part, you know, it was, he's now my, you know, ex-husband, but throughout my career, you know, it was my, you know, at that time, my husband, I spent 20 years with, you know, his name is, you know, now retired Lieutenant Colonel Lawrence Nunn, but I met him at the very beginning of my career. We were brand new second lieutenants in processing Fort Hood, like literally day one of in processing. I met him. Wow. Yeah. He was standing underneath the tree outside of the in processing building at Fort Hood. And we just struck up a conversation and we became friends and that friendship turned into, you know, us dating and then engagement and then marriage. Um, And then uh, right at the end, as we were right about the time that we dropped our um, retirement paperwork to the army, that's when we, you know, our marriage kind of started dissolving and it was unexpected for both of us. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, nobody wins in a divorce and we're amicable. We're still great friends. We have two beautiful children that we co-parent and, and, you know, I know a lot of people like you can't be friends. And I'm like, you know, everyone's marriages are different and everyone's divorces are different. And for us, you know, I'm thankful that we were able to walk away and and still be friends. You know, I, I could still call him and we can actually have a conversation about our kids or talk about certain things. I could still go to him for help about certain topics because he was a armor officer, like I said, and then he transitioned to become a cyber warfare officer. And so, okay. you know, he's got certain skill sets that I can call him up and and ask him for help. And it's just unfortunate that the love story that we had, it just it just came to an end. But, you know, for me during our, you know, for us, for me during my time in the army, he was my best friend, right? He was the person that I grew as an officer step by step. He was who I went to for help. He was the person that, um, that I leaned my head on, you know, that I, he was my sounding board and, and, you know, not because he was my husband, but I will tell you one of the things that drew me to him. And I've always said this is that he was the type of person that made looking like an army officer very easy. You know, he just, he was just one of those people that just, you looked at him, you interacted with him and he was just that damn good. And it was evident, you know, it's not just, you know, you don't have to take my word as his, as, as the ex-wife, but you know, he had the accolades to prove it, right? If you've ever looked at his evaluation reports, he was always the one of the best of, he was the top 1% in, um, in his career and always has been, he just was that good. And, um, and we just, we had a great career together. Sounds like you like, I mean, you had to have leaned on, on each other. sounds like you guys grew up together almost, you know, we did, we spent, you know, our young adult life together. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good experience. I don't think that you're alone in that many veterans sometimes have to deal with similar things as far as both a professional and personal transition at the same time. Um, I've got to say, watching it and, and talking with you about it, um, you've come out like a phoenix. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you're able to share that story so others can too. Thank you. You know, it was it was tough, right? Um, 
when you go through something unexpected, like a divorce layered on top of a transition out of the military, whether you're retiring or ETSing, your identity is wrapped up in your uniform, whether you do it for two years or 20 years or 20 plus years, right? You, you wear the nation's cloth and that becomes a part of you because it is something to be proud of, right? It is, it is something that unless you have worn that uniform, it's just, it's indescribable sometimes, right? The impact that it leaves on you. And, you know, I would be lying if I said that every day wearing that uniform was amazing. Cause the truth is it wasn't right there. How many days that you would wake up and you're just like, I effing hate this. Uh, uh, you know, the people, the, you know, the soldiers, the, the mission, you're just like, Ugh. I, you know, you just, you know, you could, punch I, a I wall. can remember day. I can remember days. There were days towards the end there. I was looking at my, I was in my truck, just looking at the building just yeah. for like 10 minutes. Like, <sighs> right. You know, what's, what's behind those doors today? <laughs> exactly. But then at the same time, you know, you're glad that you did it, right? That oh, 100%. There is, there is no tribe like the military tribe. And when you have, especially when you have spent 20 years, you know, I've spent 20 years of my life where it's been some rank none, right? You know, before that, before I was married, my maiden name was McNeilis. So it was, you know, second Lieutenant McNeilis, first Lieutenant McNeilis. And then I became, you know, none. So then it was Captain Nunn and Major Nunn, Lieutenant Colonel Nunn. And, you know, when that goes away, it's, and when your rank of opens doors in a certain way, and then all of a sudden that rank isn't there anymore, that's, that's a transition in itself. Yeah. Um, and people know you from that aspect and then you layer that with life changes. And oh, by the way, we all went through this thing called COVID on top of that. And, um, and so I went through a very real circumstance in my life. And for me, I know I've been very open for those that follow me on my social media, whether it's, you know, my personal side on Instagram or my very business side on LinkedIn is that I've been very truthful about my mental health story. And for me, that was, I planned a suicide because it just, it became too much. Right. Um, I didn't catch that part on your social media at all. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was um, for me. And I think it just, it all just came crashing down from everything from my assault as a lieutenant that I buried, you know, your mind does a lot of things to protect itself. You know, that happened to me as a first lieutenant, a very young first lieutenant, and I buried it to the point that I forgot it for 10 years. I forgot it, right? I just forgot it, put it away. And then there are moments in my life that it would be triggered and I would remember it and then I would put it away again because of the shame, the guilt. You know, I wasn't sexually assaulted. I was physically assaulted. You know, I shared that story. You know, my NCO did that to me. And just straight up hit you or, uh, you know, he, he wrenched my arm, my left arm behind my back, damn near almost broke it. Um, it was very painful. He picked me up off the ground. He threw me to the truck, smashed my face. Um, you know, there was an investigation. I got botched a couple times. Um, at the end of the day, his, we we're two different brigades, his brigade, um, his 
brigade officer was basically thought that I was conduct unbecoming of an officer because I broke down emotionally and cried, like uncontrollably cried, uh, you know, and, and I felt like as an officer, you're an officer. Why? I was shocked as an officer that you were taking this NCO side of the story over mine. Like, where is, yeah. where is the officer core to this? Um, and then at the and then uh, to me the other side was screw the officer core to the officer core. Where 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 does this man have the right to lay his hand on a woman? Yeah, that was the other thing that I I couldn't quite get over. And you know I think all of that and and the, all, the whole integrity of that situation. Yes, all of yeah. that. And, you know, and I had you know I had a toxic leader situation, you know, in my career as a field grade officer that never, that I never quite dealt with. Um, you know, I think all of that, you know, coupled with, you know, my divorce, it just came all crashing down. Right. And, um, and so it just, it really shattered me. And so I had to, you know, I had to deal with that and dealing with that meant that I had to face what was going on. And here I am as a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army that worked for U.S. Army Soldier for Life. And at my fingertips, how many organizations did I know by name yeah. that work in the realm of mental health? And yet, I couldn't find one organization that could help me. And it's not that they didn't want to help me. It was that there was not enough resources available. They were tapped out. Their answer was, Olivia, I'd love to help you, but I can't. The best that I might be able to help you might be six months, maybe a year. And to me, that's ridiculous. I can't imagine that answer. And here I am. I don't know if I have six days. And here's, here's the thing. You know, we know that the majority of the military force isn't lieutenant colonels. The majority of the military force is specialists and below. And as a lieutenant colonel, I have a voice and I know how to use it. I may be five foot one, but I have a giant personality and an attitude to go with that. And I know that no is not going to be an answer. And I know that no, I know how not to stop that no. Yeah. But the majority of our rank structure that is at that E4 and below don't necessarily know how to not stop at no. So, so glean me, glean a little bit from your story. How did you not, how did you not stop? Yeah, obviously you were going through something serious. Didn't know if you had six days, um, obviously planned out a suicide. How did you, I mean, these other com- these other nonprofits were like, no, uh, six months, uh, maybe probably even the VA. How, where did you go? How did you get help? And where did you not say no? And where'd you finally, where did it finally you know, because oh. I, I had, you know, friends, right? Friends that um, checked on me, that loved me hard and just knew that something wasn't right. And yeah. I, when I finally said I needed help, right? Because that's the hardest part of the journey is literally uttering the words, I needed help, right? The strongest tend to be the ones that hide the, hide the pain, right? We smile yeah. the most and it looks like you have it all, especially somebody like me who spends a lot of time on social media where, you know, most of my posts seem like perfect, right? You know, I get that a lot, right? And when people that knew us, knew me and my ex-husband, they're like, wow, your lives were perfect. You had it all. 
Yeah. But that doesn't mean that underneath the surface that we didn't have problems. Um, Social media is very much a facade. It is. And I, and I, I don't want to say that what I'm posting is fake, right? No, it's not true. It's just maybe the best parts. Yes, exactly. Cause I'm a huge advocate of authenticity, right? That, I want, if you never met me and you only follow me on social media and then you meet me in person, I want you to feel as if how you think and know me on social media is how you meet me in person. Like I'm one in the same person. Yeah. No one's going to introduce you with their valleys. They're going to show you the highlights first. Exactly. Um, But, you know, I do share sometimes when I have bad days, but, you know, I I just, I didn't, um, you know, I, I, I had good friends and one of them had a, a one resource. They said, Hey, try this nonprofit out. And I didn't, honestly, I, at the top of my head, I can't even remember which one it was at this point. Cause I had just, had gone through an exhaustive list and it just so happened that the one counselor I was able to get a hold of, she talked to me and she was an older lady. She actually lives in the state of Virginia. And, um, she, at one point in her career used to work on an army installation and was familiar with the army structure on how mental health works and knew how the healthcare system worked. And I was telling her my story and where I was at and what my mental health uh, situation was. And she was like, stop. She's like, you need to go right now to Fort Belvoir and you need to drive to behavioral health and do a walk-in and do emergency case right now. And she's like, she's like, where do you live? And I told her where I live. She's like, how far is Fort Belvoir? And I said, you know, so many miles and it takes me these many minutes. She says, okay, I expect a phone call from you in these many minutes. And you better be telling me that you're standing in line. Because she knew how the system worked. She's like, I can't help you because I'm no longer in that system, but I know what that system is. And I want you to tell me that you are at Fort Belvoir Behavioral Health. And so I did that. And I got to be over health and I said, I'm standing in line talking to my therapist right now. She told me to tell you these things, you know? And so I did a walk in because I was still active duty at the time. Emergency. That's why you're still in. I was still in at the time um, as emergency active duty, you know, behavior health. Uh, I have suicide ideation and I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. And they're like, okay. Um, and I got seen right there that day and, you know, and that started my treatment and that day they debated on, you know, should I, you know, what was my treatment process going to be? You know, did, did I need to get checked in or, you know, can I be, you know, weekly or, or biweekly, you know, all of that was discussed that day. And for me, that was that first step. And that was where my healing process started. For me, it ended up being a good story because I was active duty. But here's the thing. That doesn't always work when majority of us are no longer active duty, right? We're veterans. So what's out there for veterans? What's out there for our caregivers? What's out there for our family members? And the answer is what I found out, not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Um, you know, I've never shared this on, on, on a podcast, but I feel, I feel comfortable sharing it with you is, uh, um, I did a, I did a similar thing, but with the VA recently. 
and uh, it like an emergency, go to the clinic. My wife drove me, and it actually uh, same same thing. They were came up with a treatment plan right there. So it's 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 there, you know. But I still ask for um, specific treatment options that still haven't formulated yet. That's where I get frustrated with the whole six months. And I'm just lucky to be in a position where I can go find that in the private community and just take care of that myself. But uh, no, there. so I can sympathize there, there in the veteran, in the VA system, there is a way to get their help right then, you know, emergency. Hey, there's a counselor here, come up with a treatment plan. But I also sympathize with the fact that there isn't enough in the community as far as if you want a specific treatment request. And I don't think that is just with the veteran community. I think it's just with mental health support in general within the American populace. I don't, I think if you want this type of provider, there's simply just not enough in, in America period, you know? Absolutely. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, is that around the time that you called me? I think so. You know, yeah. there's just so much that was going on, right? There's just so many things that were happening and, you yeah. know, I think, you know, as I started to come out of that, you know, um, you know, like my divorce is moving along, you know, I start to reshape myself. I start to get stronger. You know, um, the yeah. thing that was really pivotal for me was, you know, so I'm going through my healing process. I'm learning to, you know, to, to heal. Right. And to, to refocus for myself. And the, here's where the army equipped me to come out of this process. And I will tell you, my even my therapist said this. She's like, I was one of the fastest um that Climbers. she's ever had, right? Um to climb out of it? Yes. She says, you know, normally most of hers will stay in for about a year, even to two years, right? To come yeah. out on the other side. She's like, that's completely normal. She's like, I did mine in, in months. Yeah. And this is where I think being in the army, being an army officer, being a planner and just, you know, you know, it's my personality that I just, when I accepted the fact that I couldn't be broken and I couldn't stay at the bottom and that I had to do something and accept to, and then realizing that I've always been a fighter and that I'm not going to sit here on the bottom anymore, that I had to do something about it, that I had to accept where I was. I had to accept and look at myself. And those those are hard moments. Like I, I'm saying this as if this was easy. It wasn't, right? Truly yeah. looking at yourself, right? Um, those are some very hard, vulnerable moments. But when I started doing that, coupled with trying to figure out who is Olivia? How am I going to reshape Olivia as I'm coming out of the military? Like, you know, and these are the things that all transitioning members are going to go through, right? What is my identity when I strip away the uniform, when I'm no longer ranked said last name? You know, what am I going to do? What is the next job for me? Um, all those those questions all of us are going to answer. And, yeah. and so I had to start owning that part of my transition. Plus it was compounded with on the other side of a marriage too. Absolutely. It's like that's a whole nother identity that's, right. that's now gone. Um, so you were dealing with both of that. Yes. And so I looked at all of that. and. I got a phone call and that was Scott Davidson. And he said, Libby, what are you doing? Um, nothing. Let's go have lunch. Okay. 
And so I, I met him for lunch and he was like, how's your transition going? I'm like, you know, it's going. He's like, you know, how's, how's, you know, the divorce process going? I was like, you know, it's, it's going, you know, I think, you know, I'm at a point where I've accepted it. Um, we're amicable, you know, we're, we're, we're going through and divvying things up. Um, but there's no hate, you know, or any of that. And he's like, okay. He's like, so have you created an LLC yet? Are you, are you going to be a consultant? I just kind of gave him the deer in the head, like, look, and here's the truth. He's not the first person that has asked me if I've created a consultancy, right? When I was at Soldier for Life, the three years that I was there, every time consistently people have asked me, when are you going to be a consultant? When are you going to be a consultant? Because I consulted. That's That was my job at Soldier for Life. I was a consultant, but I did yeah. it for free, right? That's what I did. And I kind of just always brush that off of, yeah, people are just kind of blowing smoke up my butt, whatever, because you know, and soldier for life. But so I think for some, for some reason, it just really clicked that day at lunch. And he was like, Olivia, go get, go get an LLC. I've got work for you. And I don't, I don't know why it all of a sudden, I don't know if it's just because of everything in that, in, in my life at that moment, but it just, everything that in the last three years at soldier for life and everything in that moment, plus him telling me it just all of a sudden really clicked that I could be a consultant. And, and plus, yeah, Scott has a way of, of, when he talks, there's like a sense of direction, you know, I don't know if, I don't, I don't, if that makes any sense. Like when he, when he talks to you about what, you know, what you could be doing, what you could, you know, this could be you. Um, he could be very inspiring. So, yeah, I agree. So yeah. I, we finished up lunch. It was a great lunch. And I called up an attorney and I said, so how about creating an LLC? Um, there was, you know, there was a couple days between that lunch and calling the attorney because I had to figure out what my LLC was going to be. And I, I called a very close friend of mine and um, and Adam and I sat down. And we're like, when am I going to call this LLC? Right. And we went back and forth about different names. I even talked to Alfredo Torres, who, who works with Department of Veterans Services here in Virginia, yeah. trying to figure out a brand back and forth about different names, catchy names and all of that. Because, you know, I, I did brand management for the Army. Yeah. And it finally just... And Adam, you know, in this conversation, Adam goes, do you own a website? And I said, well, I don't, I don't have it up, but I own the, you know, I, I own the domain I've had, I've owned it for the last five years. I actually own my name. Right. I just never done anything with it. He's sure. like, then why don't you just start an LLC with your name? He's like, Olivia, everybody knows you. Like there isn't one person that doesn't know your name. Like you, your face is all over LinkedIn. Your face is all over social media. It's like every time I, like I say your name, people like know you. I said, oh, that's kind of true because whenever I go somewhere, it does happen. People will walk up to me. They're like, you're her. I'm like, what yeah. do you mean? They're like, you're, you're her. You're, you're Colonel Nunn. I see you all over, you know, and it's. You've been able to, you were able to brand yourself through LinkedIn. And, I have, and, and, you and know. Through, yeah. And so, and it just clicked and you're like, you're right. I have branded myself. I should, that, that should be my consultant. And so born from that was Olivia Nunn Communications LLC. Gotcha. Um, and so I called the attorney. I was like, Hey, I want to create an LLC. And so that's what I did. And I called Scott up. And I was like, here's my LLC. And, and, and literally 
Um, he's like, great, I got work for you. And, and that's why when I, you know, when I talk about on social media, when I say that, you know, a dear friend called me and gave me distance and direction to remind me of the passion and the talent that I have. And that's why I give that to Scott, because he reminded me of what I was good at, right? I've always been a storyteller. I've always had the passion to do that. It wasn't as if he recreated that. It was just he reminded me of that's what I did, right? I just, I lost my way for a little bit because I had been crushed for a while, right? I was yeah. broken and I just had to find me and just recreate a newer version of me. Yeah. And then I got into, um, you know, pageantry, you know, that was, that was a whole new, another level for me. And so in that was brand management and defining myself right in this. And this is still under the umbrella of transitioning out of the military, right? This is still transitioning and owning my transition and through that development, you didn't do you didn't do beauty pageants before. This is a, no. a, a post military thing. Yes, wow. so I'm completely new to pageants. My first pageant was November of last year. So this is like in the last four months, I have become a pageant queen. Right. So I took the title Miss Georgetown of November of last year, and now I'm Miss New York. Right. So this is completely new, and for me, you know, stepping into the world of beyond the social media spotlight now into the pageant queen spotlight, you know, owning the transition, still doing all of that. Oh, by the way, I'm an executive director to a nonprofit, right? I'm an ambassador to Scott's nonprofit. You know, I work with the WIMSA, which is, you know, the women's memorial here in, yeah. in Arlington. I do a lot of work with them. Um, you know, there, there's so much that I have my fingers in all the time that I just, I, I just, love being able to have the conversation when it comes to the military community. Doing all these things now, uh, post-military. And that's why I said uh, you, you, you've, you've done so well since so quickly since, since you got out. And that's the reason I wanted to have you on. Um, what would you say would be the principles of that guide you in this post-military journey and, and what you've done, like I said, entrepreneurship, uh, pageantry, uh, all this consulting, all this, stuff, what's the purpose behind it? What, what, what fuels that those passions? So, you know, being a communicator, you know, you have to develop a platform and to drive a singular point. And for that, you know, if, again, if you're following me on social media, I drive that point under a slogan, a, a hashtag, and I say, I am the storm. And that all drives under the principle of military mental health. And it's exactly what we've been talking about in this in this whole concept of talking about mental health from the aspect of there is not enough resources. And I found that out in my own personal story. There's not enough. There's not enough resources for the active duty. There's not enough resources for the veteran. There's not enough for our families. Civilians, yeah. There's not enough. And to me- Saying to a, a military family member or to a service member that I would love to help you, but I can't, that that's unacceptable. And so I know that I have the attitude and the ability to say no is unacceptable. And therefore, I want to be able to use the notoriety that I have, the voice that I have, the talent that I have to bring to light this topic, not just saying that. Yes, we know that military mental health is a topic of conversation, but specifically that one, it is okay not being okay, first and foremost. Two, that our senior leaders 
from all ranks, from the four-star general all the way down, our soldiers need to see that when our leaders are taking time out to address their own mental health and taking time out to 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 work on that, and it doesn't, you know, destroy their career, that our our soldiers are going to start taking care of their mental health, and then also at the same time that we are changing the narrative on that conversation that it's not a detriment, and then also at the same time leaders are looking at mental health from a positive perspective. How do you work in the confines of that? Of how do we work with our team, right? You know, I had a conversation. So I have a new partner and he came from the special operations community. And in that community, right, they are so tied into each other about how they lean heavily on each other, right? It's so yeah. important that you give into team. Yes, we do that in the military as a whole, right? We are part of the collective, but they are very, very tied into that, into that team concept more so than I think in a conventional perspective. And so, you know, there's a lot of fear on a mental perspective from there, but how do you work as a, as a senior leader when you talk about mental health? Okay. How do you work in terms of, all right, you take a little bit of time out, but you come back in. Like, how do you do that rotation? It's the same concept of how do you work the rotation when you have a female on your team that's going to give birth, right? How do you work yeah. that time out when they go on maternity leave and parental leave? It's 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 that same thing. Instead of looking at it as a nuance or or saying that this is, oh, I got to deal with it. It's like, instead of saying, oh, I got to deal with it. It's like, I, I get to deal with it. This is this is something that I can do something for my soldier and I get to take care of them because when you allow them to take care of their mental health, they're going to come back a stronger fighter. Somebody oh, better. They'll, they'll, right? they'll, they'll break down walls for you. Exactly. They'll, you know, they'll right. blow through. If you tell them they'll go through that building, they'll go through that building. Exactly. If, 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 if those, if those Marines, those, those soldiers, they understand that their leaders got their back game over. Cause we know that your mind is the most important tool of your body, right? Your mind controls everything. So we have to take care of your mind and we have to make sure that your mind is right. And, and then also at the same time, how do we advocate for change? Well, advocacy comes from two, two, two parts, right? Talk. And then now we got to back that talk and we back that talk by creating policy change. And that policy change comes through, you know, funding. And so that work comes from an organization that I get to podcast for, which is MOA, Military Officers Association of America, who does a lot of great work of actually fighting fights on the Hill at Capitol Hill, making change for our military community. Even though, you know, the title says Officers Association of America, they fight for the military community as a whole. It's sure. not just for the officers, it's for the military community. And that's why for me, it's I in the storm is about that conversation of military mental health. We have well, I mean, if you're, if you're changing the military mental health and officers and, and the stigmas behind it and breaking down those walls and being those leaderships by, by example, yeah, you're definitely going to change the rest of the core. You know, absolutely. Is that what you're going with your, with your entrepreneurship too, as far as your communications consultant? For me, the entrepreneurship is, you know, for me, the communication perspective, all of it, Olivia Nunn Communications is more of social media branding and brand management uh, and podcasting. So for me, it's, I want to be able to, so my full-time job is I am a senior marketing manager. I'm a government contractor. I want to do less of that. And I want to do more of, of uh, podcasting and being able to do that for other companies. That's what I would love to do, to be able to have those conversations um, within the military community. And yeah. whether that's driving 
you know, more conversations about mental health, or if that's other conversations, you know, then, then so be it. Um, well, if you get a job at the VA, um, we do have the VA podcast network uh, that, that uh, we're kind of cobbling together. So, um, and that's, you can get a job anywhere in the VA and, and you know, I kind of had that it's a community of practice. And, and so just a little wink, wink, hint, hint, if you ever get a job at the VA. So. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, what's one thing that you learned during your time in the military that you apply to what you do today? You know, I think that's such a tough question to answer because there's so many, yeah. there's so many good things that I've learned, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like if you had to pick one thing, you I, know, you know, I mean, I learned resiliency. I've learned, you know, how, you know, I will say probably planning. The army has taught me how to be a lethal planner, um, how to take looking at small details and honing in on those details and laying it out on a calendar. Right. Um, it, it, it helps me in everything. It, I look at the long range calendar and, and go, well, this is the summer. What are we doing this summer? And I have to look at where are the kids going for summer for summer camp. And, you know, that helps balance out the schedule between my ex-husband and I, because they my kids are a week with me and a week with him. You know, it helps me balance out as an entrepreneur when I need to travel because I'm doing stuff with Scott and I'm doing stuff for myself and I get asked to be a guest speaker. And I, you know, um, it looks like Las Vegas is the city this year. I've got so many speaking gigs coming up to Las Vegas throughout the year, but, That's you know, great. so I've got to balance that out. Oh, by the way, being a pageant queen, you know, I've been asked to come to different events. In fact, I have an event um, later on in April, um, about stop human trafficking that I'll be attending. So, okay. you know, while planning, it was all about planning missions, right? Going, you know, find, fix and destroy the bad guy. That That's where that planning came from. But that singular thing of how to be a detailed planner has absolutely helped me um, in every aspect of my life. And then from a social media perspective, right? It helps me plan out what is my next post? What am I going to look at? What is the next thing that I'm going to do? Um, yeah. So yeah, planning. Very good. Very good. Um, Olivia, we've, we've spent roughly close to an hour. Is there anything that I've missed or haven't asked that you think is important to share to this particular audience that are going to be listening to this episode? You know, I would say the most important part is transition, right? You have to own your transition and, I, and I'm going to go and I'm going to revert back to my previous hat, which was when I was Lieutenant Colonel Nunn at U.S. Army Soldier for Life, you know, uh, minus my own personal part, you know, and I, the part that I didn't share is that when you listen to the structure of owning your journey, right, we preached at Soldier for Life to, you know, 24 months before you exit the military, you need to start your process, yeah. Right. And hopefully you start that process long before you start networking. You know, we talked a lot about some networking events that you and I started, right? That we went to Burbis, you know, how many years ago? And here we are, you know, years later having this conversation. Exactly. And, you know, when you do those things, it, it, it will bring to fruition so many great things. And here's why I say this, you know, when you do those steps the right way, yes, you have to put in the work. So many great things come from that, Right. Case in point, I shared in the story. I developed this relationship. You know, I've ended up becoming an ambassador for Scott Davidson later on. Um, you know, what I didn't talk about is that, you know, my full-time job. Well, what I didn't share is that, and I've shared it once before, but 
I got that job because I started networking a long time ago, right? And that network ended up causing a conversation, right? Actually from the VA, the, um, the VA press secretary, Terrence Hayes, right? Him yeah. and I are old friends. We were PAOs together. Were you and, really? Yeah, we were PAOs together. <laughs> I when, I first got, when I first got to VA, we were cubicle mates. Shared interest in wrestling. Yeah, so before the VA, he worked with the VFW. And before that, he, him and I were working at well, Army Public Affairs. Well, before VFW, he was also at VA as a, as, a, as a 13. So before he became the press secretary, he was actually in the same office, just at, a, at, a, at media relations. And that's where I met him. So, yeah. But yeah, before that, he was, again, enlisted Army. Yep. Yeah. So and that's so where we you know, were huh? working together. And yeah. I just, I called him up. We've kept in touch. And I called him. I was like, hey, Terrence, I'm putting my packet. I'm going out you know, put your ear to the floor. If you hear some jobs, you know, just let me know. He's like, yeah, cool, cool. I'll let you know. He calls me up a week later and he's like, hey, Olivia, you remember Justin Platt? I was like, yeah, the old Sec Army's PAO that we all work together. He's like, yeah, he works for a company. He just called me the other day and said his company has an opening and I think you'd be perfect for it. He's like, do you got his number? I was like, actually, I do. He's like, call him up. I hung up the phone. I called Justin. Yo, Justin. I just got off the phone with Terrence. Terrence told me to call you. You got a job. He's like, you want to hear about it? Sure. I really didn't want to, but in my head, I was like, this is a throwaway opportunity. Never turn down an opportunity. Absolutely. You know, this would be a good, you know, practice, whatever. What do I got to lose? So I listened to him and as I was listening, I was like, actually, this doesn't sound like a bad, bad opportunity. So I, he's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I could see myself doing this job. He's like, are you interested? I was like, yeah. So the next day I got in touch with his uh, senior HR rep, had a conversation with him. He was like, Hey, I really like you. Uh, let's, let's have a conversation. Okay, cool. Talk to him. He said, I really liked our conversation. Um, the, uh, senior, uh, tech wants to talk to you. Are you willing to talk to him tomorrow? Yeah, cool. Talk to him. Um, I get a call back later in the afternoon. The senior HR rep, he's like, he really, really liked you. He loved the conversation, but he's got to talk to two other people. I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. So call with Justin was Monday. Tuesday was senior HR rep. Wednesday was with the senior tech. Boom, boom, boom. Thursday, phone call, email, text at 9 a.m. Congratulations. Here's your job offer. Wow. 72 hours from start to finish, right? Boom, boom, boom. And all that to say it was networking, right? I started all that network years before I even dropped my paperwork. And that's what I'm driving at is that never turn on an opportunity because you never know what that door is going to lead later on, right? And never turn on the chance just to say, I'm going to try this. And, and I took that opportunity. That was February. Yeah. That was February of 21. I took a job opportunity. I didn't retire until September. <laughs> Right. Were you on terminal? You were able to get the, get the double paycheck. Oh yeah. Right. I was still looking right. Still potential, but not, but in the end, that job that I took still ended up being the best opportunity Opportunity for me. Yeah. And still, it still is. Right. And I, the company I work for are great. I love the people. That's what I'm driving at is that all of the principles that soldier for life talked about, it's not perfect. Right. But the principles that we talked about are there. You just have to own your journey and you've got to put the work behind it and start early, right? Start early and trust me, it's going to work. What about for the veterans that haven't started early? They're, they're already out there at EASing. What, what, what advice do you have for them? It's never too late, right? Um, it's never too late to go back. You know, there are so 
you know, I think of like recruit military, right? You don't have to be in to go back to those, um, those hiring fairs, right? They're, they yeah. constantly have them all around the country, get plugged back in, um, you know, get, get on LinkedIn. If you don't have LinkedIn, start building your network, go out to these veteran events. You know, if you're in the DC area, go to Burbiz, start meeting people. Yes. For the introverts, I know that can be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> if you're an extrovert like me, you're not going to have Hard a problem time. going up, right? Yeah, yeah. But get out there and meet people and just say, hello, I am, this is what I'm trying to do, you know? And if you are short in one area, take a class. Use your veteran resources to the full advantage, right? There's so many resources the VA offers, right? If you need to do a credentialing skill, um, you know, there's so many things that are out there that you could brush up on, add to your resume, you know, that the sky is the limit. You just, you know, I I can only think of, you know, what the army would say. You just kind of just have to get your ass in line, you know, (laughs) (laughs) put some work to it, you know, get out there. Yeah. And especially for the introverts, it's like the only way to, to get, to be a better speaker, to be better in those settings is to practice. You do get out there. Gotta get that. there. Absolutely. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been, it's been great catching up with you. Um, no, thank you. And, and, um, we are out. Have a good one. Thanks so much. I chose to be an outreach worker because of the fact that I've been there. I know what it is to be homeless. When I utilized my VI bill to get my house, that was like the biggest thing that ever happened to me in my whole life because they helped me get a piece of the American dream. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov. I want to thank Olivia for coming on and sharing her story. To learn more about Olivia, she has a bio on the Military Officer of Associations of America's podcast, Never Stop Serving homepage. Just Google M-O-A-A, Never Stop Serving. You'll find the homepage, you'll find the bio. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is by way of VA's Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our social media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by emailing in a bio and about five pictures to newmedia at va.gov. Now, this one in particular was sent in by Carrie the Load. Barney Fushimi Hario was born in Hawaii in September of 1916. His parents immigrated to Hawaii from Japan during World War I, and he was the oldest of nine children in a poor family. He dropped out of school in his teens to work in the sugarcane fields of Maui and later became a dock worker in Honolulu. A Euro was drafted into the army in early 1942, shortly after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. He initially served with an engineering battalion, but was limited as he was not allowed to carry a weapon. Wanting to prove his loyalty to his country, Hayuro volunteered to serve with the 442nd Regimental Combat Team. This regiment was composed mostly of second-generation Japanese Americans and was one of the most highly decorated units of World War II. With the motto, Go for Broke, its 14,000-member regiment received a combined total of nearly 9,500 Purple Hearts, as well as numerous presidential unit citations and dozens of distinguished service crosses. Over the course of 10 days in October of 1944, Hayuro was involved in three separate combat engagements in France. And this is the direct quotes from his citation. 
for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life beyond the call of duty. Private Barney F. Hayuro distinguished himself by extraordinary heroism in action on 19, 22, and 29 October 1944 in the vicinity of Briars and Biffenfontein, eastern France. I hope I said those right. Private Hayuro, while acting as a sentry on top of an embankment on, on 19 October 1944 in the vicinity of Briars, France, rendered assistance for Allied troops attacking a house 200 yards away by exposing himself to enemy fire and directing fire at an enemy strongpoint. He assisted the unit on his right by firing his automatic rifle and killing or wounded two enemy snipers. On 22 October 1944, him and one comrade took up an outpost security position about 50 yards to the right of an enemy patrol, killing two, wounding one, and taking the remainder as prisoners. On 29 October 1944, in a wooded area in the vicinity of Biffenfontein, France, Private Hero initiated an attack up the slope of a hill referred to as Suicide Hill by running forward approximately 100 yards under fire. He then advanced ahead of his comrades about 10 yards, drawing fire and spotting camouflage machine gun nests. He furiously met fire with fire and single-handedly destroyed two machine gun nests and killed two enemy snipers. As a result, Private Hero's heroic actions, the attack was successful. Private Hero's extraordinary heroism and devotion to duty are in keeping with the highest traditions and reflect the great credit upon himself, his unit, and the United States Army. Hayuro was originally awarded a Distinguished Service Cross for his actions, one of three he received over the course of his career. However, in the 1990s, a Congressional Review determined that attitudes towards Japanese during and after World War II had led soldiers of Asian descent to be discriminated against in receiving awards. In 2000, at a White House ceremony, President Bill Clinton awarded Hero and 21 other Asian American veterans the Medals of Honor that were upgraded. After the war, Hayuro returned to Hawaii where he worked in security. In addition to his Medal of Honor and Distinguished Service Crosses, he also received a Purple Heart and World War II Victory Medal. Fortunately, Hayuro died on January 21, 2011. At the time of his death, he was the oldest living Medal of Honor recipient at age 94. He is buried in the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific in Hawaii. Army Veteran Barney F. Hayuro. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a future Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song, and was written by Marine veteran Mark McKilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We'll see you right here next week. Take care. Thank you.
We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Firefight bullets fly day and night. Rain. Simplify till we die another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Campaign. Here we go, lock and load, oh, 331, lug a thousand rounds, and I ain't bringing back one. I can laugh about this now, um, but I remember... These are usually the best stories. <laughs> no, it's, you know, so... It, <laughs> so, I used to spend a lot of time on aircrafts, right, in my first deployment. So, I'm like, okay. I'm an avid flyer, because right? I was in an aviation unit. I was an aviation chemo, right? A Blackhawk chemo. And yeah. I was like, ah, I know how to fly. So we, so this is OIF 0608. I'm not in aviation anymore. I'm in 1st Brigade, 1st Cav, Iron Horse. And I, I was the LNO. So I was at um, MNDB at Baghdad. And I had to go to Taji back to our brigade headquarters. And I had to go back for a meeting. And it was late. Mm. So I, I boarded the aircraft. And I was super late. And I guess I didn't realize the new procedure that they were doing with the aircraft, which is they were firing off um, the flares, the flares. Right. And I didn't know that. And I normally, because I do get air sick. So I like to sit facing the way that the pilots are, but the way that they boarded us, and the way that they were distributing the weight, they had me sit the other way. So my back was to them, which I hate that position, but I was like, Bleh. and it was super late at night. I think I ended up catching the bird at like zero two in the morning. Mm. I'm exhausted. I was like, whatever. And it's a short flight from Taji to Baghdad, right? To MNDB headquarters. So I'm like, whatever. So I'm sitting there, you know, you're holding your weapon, right? And I'm just sitting there and I'm exhausted and I fall asleep and I feel the bird take off. And they bank really hard. I don't know why they bank really hard, but they do. Again, I'm thinking, I've flown a bird hundreds of miles. I've seen all of Iraq from bottom to top, left and right. I'm a pro at flying. <laughs> I got this. Yeah. They take off. They bank hard. I forget what direction, right? And the flares go. And it's red flares. It's late at night. I'm thinking we got shot and we're going down. <laughs> and I'm looking around going, holy sh! we're dying. <laughs> because they, like, all I can think about is like, I'm, I'm going to die. Great. And I can't see where we're going because my back is turned. The aircraft is banked really hard. I just see red, right? Because I didn't know it was flares. And then, and then all of a sudden we're like, kind of like, ride it again. And I, I'm like looking. I'm like, oh, we're not dead. Just, what the f was that? <laughs> just the new, just the new I procedure. Guess that was a new procedure. Great. Did you bring it up afterwards? Did you no. ask the pilot? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> no. no, I'm a 
pro. I got this. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, no, that's just I, normal. You know, I'm just going to get off this bird and pretend like it's cool and just not ride the bird at zero two in the morning ever again. <laughs> 